join me in our responsive welcome. No matter who you are or where you are in life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut or Colorado, the United States or Europe or anywhere in the world. The piece that I'm going to play today um, is very humble in a lot of ways. Um, that's the prompt that Amelia had asked me about. And so I just, it needs a little explanation, otherwise you don't catch the connection. Um, it's a chaconne in D minor by, uh, it's originally by Bach, but Brahms arranged it for left hand. So Bach wrote it as a violin piece. And um, it kind of amazed people for hundreds of years because it's, it's this one line instrument playing this super um, thick and contrapuntal piece of music. So it's kind of like he wrote something that was bigger than the instrument could really do. Um, so I think it's humble in the sense that it's, it's kind of presented in very bare fashion, even though it's kind of this like whole world of a piece. Um, it, the whole thing is 16 minutes long, so I'm not going to play that <laughs> all today. Um, I'm going to excerpt a little bit, but um, I encourage you to think, as you listen to it, to notice ways in which it um, sort of has an ideal form that's maybe even greater than can be accomplished on the piano. The interesting thing about the Brahms piano arrangement is to mimic that limitation of the violin, he arranged it for left hand only on the piano, which sort of feels like you're playing on the fingerboard of a violin. Um, anything else I want to say about it? Uh, he sent it to Clara Schumann at a time where she had hurt her hand, um, but it's become a real... Um, staple of the repertoire ever since then. And the last thing I'll say is the, the chaconne part is also sort of humble beginning. So chaconne is basically a type of variation form, but instead of taking like a whole theme, you just take one chord progression and you repeat it over and over. So I think the whole 16 minute piece has 64 iterations of the same chord progression, um, but it doesn't sound that way at all. And I think you'll, you'll appreciate what I'm talking about when you hear it. So I hope you enjoy it.
It is one of the things that I love working with this team um, so much because I can say things like, Robert, how about if you do something on the piano about humility? And he says, sure. <laughs> and then he does something amazing and beautiful, and it's really nice to have that collaborative spirit. So I am so grateful for that. It is also um, kind of a stark contrast to what we are about to hear in the scripture. In the scripture this morning, there is not much of a sense of a collaborative spirit. What is about to unfold for us this morning takes place at a dinner party, and it is best imagined if you kind of get your head right now in the headspace of uh, maybe Downton Abbey or Game of Thrones. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When Jesus noticed how the guests chose the place of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And then the host may come and say to both of you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would have to go and sit down at the lowest place. When you're invited, go and sit down right away at the lowest place, so that when the host comes to you, he may say to you, friend, move up higher, and then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus turned then, and he said to the person who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors in case they might invite you in return, and then you would already be repaid. When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And one of the dinner guests on hearing this said to him, Blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Words of wisdom for us this morning. It's fairly rare that we encounter a hierarchical seating system like the one that we heard unfold just a minute ago. Sometimes, maybe at weddings or galas or military events, sometimes those are places where we have kind of these ideas about who sits where and how that communicates their importance to the rest of the guests. I think generally, though, our hierarchies tend to show up in other ways. We might see them when we're at the airport and there's that priority boarding line for the airplane. Or maybe at work, when you're seeing who has the corner office and who maybe doesn't have an office at all. Just last weekend I was talking to a friend who was talking about um, all of the 
work politics that were emerging as they tried to go back um, post-COVID and were figuring out who got a designated cubicle and who just had to have a travel cubby when they showed up. And like the folks in the story that we just heard, all of these situations, they're kind of occasions for careful watching. Did you notice how much watching was happening in the story? It happens right at the beginning. The Pharisees are watching Jesus, and Jesus is watching the dinner guests, and the dinner guests are watching each other, and they're all trying to see who is going to sit where. And it's a little exhausting. All of this jockeying for position wears on even the most hardy person, even the person who is most eager to climb that social ladder. And if you experience social anxiety or you know someone who does, you know that these situations with all this scrutiny are the stuff of overwhelm and nightmares. So it's a bit surprising to me that Jesus is even there. We don't know where he's sitting or how he chose his seat, but we know he was invited, and we know that he is teaching with authority in this room of what we might call the upper class or maybe the elite. And we also know that that's not the only kind of dinner that Jesus has. We often see him criticized for choosing to eat with the outcasts. And so maybe it's because Jesus spends his time doing this back and forth between the people who are less welcome and the people who are in power that he offers the advice that he does. Stop playing the game. Or as my husband often quotes, which I think comes from the movie War Games, the only winning move is not to play. Getting out of that rat race, as we sometimes call it, ends up becoming a dream for many folks at some point in their lives or another. And some of us manage to do it either by retiring early, or downsizing a home, or changing careers. And then throughout Christian history, there have been groups who pursue what we now call intentional community, where they live and they work together, and no one owns property of money because they all want to be on equal footing. A current example that I just ran across that was new to me is the Bruderhof communities. Some of you may already be familiar with them. There's several in the U.S. and several more around the world. And all of the communities are different. Some of them are shared houses in the suburbs. Some of them are large farms. Some of them are apartment buildings that have been converted into these spaces where multiple generations and abilities and stages of life can all live together. And when folks move there, they give up all of their private property and their possessions, and they put it into kind of this common purse so they can live the way that the community in Acts does. And if you go to their website, you'll see that their motto is, Another Life is Possible. Jesus, too, this morning is saying, Another Life is Possible. But what he's offering here is a little bit different than that. His advice almost seems to be for the rest of us. 
the ones who, for some reason or another, can't completely disengage. He seems to accept that for some of us, living within this society, as maddening as it might be, is something of a given. And for those in that position, he doesn't recommend this literal flipping of the tables, but a metaphorical turning of them. Rather than playing by the rules of prestige and popularity, why not simply make it more honorable to be dishonored? Jesus isn't the first to comment on this strategy of humility in social situations. He's drawing from Proverbs 25, which has this to say, and you'll recognize the similarities. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. Here in the Proverbs, this is more like etiquette advice. It's something that you do to avoid an awkward situation. But what Jesus is doing is taking it out of the realm of earthly table manners and into the realm of heavenly table manners. At that great big table in the sky, if that's where heaven is, the people at the head table won't be the most powerful or influential. They'll be the ones who were humble or humbled. And I know it's a little weird, maybe, to be told to be humble so that you can be exalted later. It feels a little bit calculating, which is maybe why it makes a little bit more sense as a strategy than as spiritual advice. But I wonder how it would change our lives if we were constantly looking to the edges and to the outskirts rather than to the powerful and the glamorous where this looking up that we often do offers a narrow and competitive focus. Looking around offers openness and connection. One of the challenges that we often have when we talk about humility as a virtue is that it's kind of fuzzy. We know that it's the opposite of arrogance, but we also know that it's not a lack of confidence. And so even though today we're talking about humility in this context of doing something embarrassing or maybe socially awkward, I'd also say that humility doesn't necessarily mean letting people walk all over us. Jesus models humility, but he also models the ability to stand up for himself and for others. And so, as a starting place today, I'd like to offer a working definition of humility, something to play with through the week, and I'd be curious to see how you end up defining it yourselves. But I'm playing with the idea that humility is the desire to see others restored to their proper place. The desire to see others restored. This idea of restoration is one that I've been thinking about a lot lately because it's one that comes up a lot at the meetings of the Environmental Justice Ministry team. And if you're not familiar with the team, that's the team within this congregation that's focused on doing the work of healing 
for all creation. In a culture where we have for so long focused on how humans can get ahead and have more, even at the expense of anything else, it's a shift to think about how we can work with the rest of creation, with the rest of creation, rather than exploiting it. And so one of the phrases that the team has uh, so far in their working covenant is, As humbly interdependent beings, we recognize the impacts of our actions. That's a switch, a turning of the tables, because for so long the narrative that has played out in some parts of American Christianity isn't about humble interdependence. It's about dominance. We've used the creation story from Genesis that God gave people dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and the cattle and the earth and every creeping thing and ignored every warning sign that comes in the rest of Genesis and the rest of the 65 books of the Bible about what really happens when people only look out for themselves. Justice, healing, restoration, All of those things depend on us exalting others as much as we exalt ourselves. It's not about letting others walk all over us. It's about letting others walk with us. And increasingly, we are becoming aware that others includes the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and the cattle and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And so like the folks at the Pharisees' party, we are learning to expand who it is we consider part of our table. And also, like the folks at the party, we can start where we are. A couple years ago at a conference, I was struck by the practice of introducing ourselves by our names and our pronouns and the watershed area that we live in. And it resulted in some pretty fast um, Googling for many of us. (laughs) But it also emphasized that spirit of connection and of curiosity that the land could be a companion in life rather than something that we just walk on. (laughs) And so maybe if you're curious, you take a minute to Google that. And if you look that up and it's intriguing, Maybe see if you know the names of the trees in your backyard or the birds at your local park. And I'm not saying you have to become a master bird watcher or expert gardener. Just that it's nice to know who you're sharing a table with. These practices are powerful and they change us, even if they seem small, because they're based in curiosity, not shame but curiosity. One of the things that gets hard about addressing world challenges is that it is hard to know where to start. And we get this decision paralysis. But starting with curiosity unsticks some of that, and I think that's why Jesus taught in parables so often, even the one that he teaches with today. When we stop, to think a little bit. We're freed up from imagining all the things that won't work and allowed to imagine all the things that might. 
And we do that starting with relationship and with reframing what it means to be a servant people as Jesus calls and teaches us to be. And so as we continue to ponder that, each of us in our own way, let this next song be our prayer as we rise and sing verses one through three of Let Me Be Your Servant. <laughs> 